Welcome to the Read Optional Podcast, taping this on a Thursday afternoon. I'm joined on the line by two of the strongest, well, it's one single account in terms of social media following, something we were just talking about before we started. They're able to double up on everything they do and make each other seem smarter or dumber, depending on what the the, the set tweet was or, or set posting they did. It's the guys from Syed Schemes. Uh, it's Dan and Sean. How are you doing, guys? Oh, you're doing great. Appreciate it. Happy to be on a podcast with such strong entry music. Got a little dancing vibes before we can kind of get into it. <laughs> yeah, I, I wanted to frame this one. So I do every year, well, I used to do every year, with Brandon Thorne, we do the State of the Offensive Line Union. It's a podcast that goes over really well every year. And then with Coach Vass, I've, I've started doing the State of, of Defensive Football which is just where we have big picture defensive schemes with you guys. I think this is better as almost like a round table, the, the, the scheme nerd summit that we get together and we say, let's put everything out there. Let's not necessarily get into the O-line guys foot, uh, foot movement and hand placement, all that stuff. Let's go big picture. What is happening in the NFL? Stuff that's come up from college, stuff that's just been reimagined or, or tweaked in some way. And what is happening in terms of like, yeah, the macro level across the sport. Um, but before we get to that, we do have to quickly touch on something that I, I was asking you guys about more of your backstory before we got started. And you said to me that, Dan, you coached Sean at one point, which is a wild thing to have happen uh, where one brother would coach another one. Uh, how was that dynamic, first of all? And what happened when he would make either a mistake or was great? And how tempered were you? And being like, this is my brother, and there's a whole team here, and I, I have, there's a coaching staff, and I have to kind of like remember that I have to probably see this guy for the rest of my life because he's my brother and all. But also, there's this thing in football culture where you can't treat anyone any differently. Yeah, you know, it, it really was one of uh, my favorite football experiences. We're pretty close uh, to begin with uh, as people, but we're almost five years apart, so it kind of made for uh, the perfect age gap as, as Sean became a senior I had um, finished my uh, college playing career and I was coaching in college um, and then wanted to you know kind of had this unique opportunity to be uh, the offensive coordinator for a year and just thought it was the opportunity of a lifetime uh, so <laughs> you know I it was hard being objective with respect to uh, injury stuff you know, if I, if I would see him take a big hit, I think I'd cringe uh, just, just a little more uh, personally. But Sean was one of the – he's one of the smartest football people, players uh, that I've been around, period. Um, when he would make certain play calls right, I would never doubt that he would make a, a certain uh, check or, or audible. And it really was like having two coaches on the field at a specific time. And uh, I probably enjoyed his his success uh, more than any other player's success, just because I would um, root for my brother. Um, in terms of in terms of yelling, you know, I, I'm not actually I'm not much of a yeller. I think the only example, um, and we brought this up uh, just before we started, was he also played cornerback for us, and we were playing this uh, very dynamic receiver. Um, who the other team would isolate on the backside of trips often in our game plan was for Sean to follow him around and uh, to get some uh, safety help and, and move some guys around pre-snap. And we didn't really have anybody to, to mimic um, this guy. So we brought up a freshman who, who had a little bit of, of size and speed 
And, you know, Sean was having no part of it in practice. He was beating the kid up, face masking him, throwing him to the ground. And I kind of just freaked out and said, you know, <laughs> if we're going to get a look, you have to actually play cornerback um, in that. That's a very filtered down uh, curseless version of it. But that was pretty much the only time um, I, I thought it was it was one of my favorite experiences. And, and we had some success and, uh, you know, we have the video to prove it. So so that was fun. Now, Sean, was it as straightforward and nice and rah-rah and rooting for my brother's success? And wow, it's like having another coach in the field when you're actually on the field. Did you feel like that? Did you internalize a lot? And you're like, wow, he only said that because that's my brother and he's trying to send a message to the rest of the team. You know, I, I was just surprised because Dan was going to law school at that time too. So, and I went to law school as well. And being a law student and coaching is, is <laughs> not no a stressless job. And I, I was really surprised. I thought, I mean, he did a great job. And I think a lot of the, the reasons why I may know some things or have some familiarity thing with things are because of him. And yeah, he was, he was surprisingly kind uh, for the coach brother dynamic and continues that always. So I, I'm really grateful for it. It was a great experience. That has to be that law school stuff where he's like, you know, this is like the fifth most important part of my day. So I'm not going to stress too much because I'm spending all of my <laughs> stress wattage and all of this legalese. Um, let's get into some big picture scheme stuff. I wanted to start with this. We, we've got a long outline here. And we've got a bunch of topics we want to hit and they're not all necessarily interconnected. So we'll just kind of ratchet through them uh, as we get to them and take them kind of individual chunks. I wanted to start with the quads formations because we both wrote about this uh, recently, or all three of us, I should say, wrote about this recently. And it's a really fascinating hinge point for the league because as we'll get into in a bit, everyone is moving to all these two deep safety looks in two different kind of uh, machinations, which is one, which is just the drop two, you send everyone back, whether it's two, four, six, however you want to get into it. And then there's the layering of the defense where it's start with two, one goes down, and we'll get into all the specifics of that in a little while. But one of the tactics that's really spread across the league to try and attack this and still overload zones and swamp people and all that kind of stuff is using quads formations, four receivers on one side of the field. And at the NFL level, outside of really Peyton Manning, who did it a bunch uh, in Denver once he got all excited about the air raid concepts and all that stuff. You don't see in the NFL four receivers to one side of the field. It's really tight and cramped out there. It can get really congested. The windows get really narrow. There's not a whole bunch of space. This is a space game. And when the hash marks are that narrow, it's hard to stick four guys to one side of the field. But if you rip through everyone, what the Chiefs have done with the fast motion, what the Packers do with the fast motion, what the Cowboys do by saying just stand four guys right next to each other. Um, I think I'll start with you then, Dan. This is this is it's a it's hard one to even just bring as a topic. It's like, it's just noticeable and interesting, I think. Oh yeah, you know, so I think a couple of years ago you see Andy Reid, the Chiefs, a little bit of McVay and the Rams, uh, either motioning to quads or, or lining up in it. This year, more than ever, noticing it majority of the league having some kind of quads package. And I think it's been unique how each team has molded it to kind of their strengths or their or their coach's philosophy, uh, particularly when, you know, a lot of these guys, Shanahan, McVay, McClure, they have common background, right? So I thought that when uh, week one, week two, I turned on some of the film and saw quad stuff and thought, oh, you know, here's the three or four plays we'll see and they'll run it this way and that'll be uh, nice. It'll be a nice addition, but, but that's really not the case. Uh, every team has kind of put their own spin on it. Uh, LaFleur does a great job of um, 
highlighting Devontae Adams and really stretching the defense thin with, with matchups um, for them. McVay does it wholly different. Um, you know, the Raiders this past week uh, had used Mariota and Carr on the field together in a quads type motion. And I thought, wow, you know, does that open up some kind of possibilities if you in the quarterback run game or if you have a quarterback that could uh, threaten in that uh, manner? And teams are getting to quads in such different ways, as you noted. It's not just that we go out and, and line up four guys out there in kind of a stagnant way. You know, we're seeing uh, trips nub with the um, kind of closed tight end and, and running backs fast motioning out to the three receiver side. We're seeing Cooper Cup in the backfield uh, releasing out um, in motion to uh, the three receiver side and throwing screens back to the tight end side uh, delay screens it's really unique and impressive to see how much thought has been put into it and it is a really interesting response to all the uh, too high the prevalence of how many too high uh, safety looks the uh, defenses are giving it, you know I think I think quad does a few things I think it does a lot but it often makes defenses simple um to this point, because prior to this year, we don't know how much time defenses have been spending on quads, right? It hasn't been as prevalent. So that means there hasn't been as much practice time or thought. The checks might be simpler for uh, quads formation. The defensive rules might be simpler. The, the box count gets to be potentially sketchy for defenses uh, when that running back fast motions out or that receiver um, motions out. And you, you've seen that some uh, places where uh, for example, the Panthers have run quarterback draw off of uh, quads motions and uh, the, the box is completely vacated. You're either getting a 3-2 a or sometimes a 4-0 or 4-1 type uh, box. And there's just um, a lot uh, that offenses have exploited there. So that, that's been a really interesting um, dynamic to see. Yeah, getting the defense to be static, I think, is the whole point here. Because I don't think if you spoke to these guys, it would be their preference to be like, yeah, let's run a ton of quads. And they're not running a ton as if it's like it's our base. It's just a necessary part now of the game plan because of what they're seeing. I mean, the Lions are running it. The Lions. If the Lions are doing something innovative in 2021 when they're actively losing games, uh, then, yeah, it's a, it's a real thing. I, the fast motion stuff, I think, is... I find that interesting. I, I find that almost less interesting because of how much Reed has run it before. And it's always kind of been a thing where it's like just trying to, as I said before, overwhelm. If someone's playing pure spot drop zone, it's like, let's just try and overwhelm the, that part of the field, almost like a basic flood concept, but we're using four guys instead of three. It's pretty basic. But the, the four guys aligned pre-snap and not in the gimmickry way. Because when, like, as you mentioned, the start of the season, you see it, you go, okay, so they probably got two or three of these in there. Even the Kellen Moore one that went super viral where Conor McGovern goes out and they run the bubble or whatever. And Atlanta's looking around going, okay, let's just send two guys over to the four guy side and we'll keep three guys over to the one guy side. Okay, so math doesn't really work there. But to me, the most interesting thing is McVeigh, you, you touched on there. And then LaFleur is the one who is just the guy of the man crush on. And I, I talk about every day of my life, basically at this point, hiding Devontae Adams within the play design of like, okay, if you're going to try and commit resources to stopping Devontae Adams, I will commit all my resources to, to hiding Devontae Adams within the play design. And either I make him the one 
And then the sheer panic, because there's four guys in the side of the field and you've only got one option really, which is to play man coverage. Or I, I sneak him into the, the play design where you can't possibly double the guy over there because there's three other people pre-lined up. It's not a fast motion. We're not getting into any kind of checks or, or, or motion principles. You got to make a decision pre-snap. How are you going for this? And then you have the best receiver and maybe the best quarterback in the league rolling off it together. Um, has anything stood out to you, Sean, that you think is, is worthwhile noting in kind of the course discussion? I think that the point on Adams is so strong because when if you learn some coverages just x's on a chalkboard a lot of the spread kind of too high stuff you learn it based on two by two first some uh like cover three match stuff you'll learn with two backs in the backfield but you go from having a two by two formation to then having your change rules like you learn your stubby and your stump four three by one stuff and then if you have four by one stuff that's kind of a star last page we're going to learn this as a separate thing so as you said it it makes sense that man coverage is what you're going to see a lot. And yeah, when you have Devontae Adams, that's what, that's what you want to do is get him one-on-one and hiding in the formation is just such a smart thing to do to really, really stress defenses. The, the other thing here is when you mention about teams making checks that, and kind of, you can, when you're doing something that isn't that, that is quite rare, it really leaps out when you just go down to the film that, oh, they, they flip to one thing or maybe they have a second thing off or maybe they just say, fuck it. And they're just going to blitz. And we're cool with that because we have Aaron Rodgers or Matthew Stafford or whoever, and we win that matchup no matter what. That they, they will probably default to something. They're not ripping through seven different things on the chart being like, which one shall we run based on this down a distance that they probably have a go-to where everyone knows leaving the huddle. Oh, cool. We just checked this immediately. So they're just making themselves more predictable in an, age or at least an age this season where defense have tried their best to, to move to the world of we're two because we might move hey just be aware it looks like this to begin with but we're probably moving someone somewhere and we're building different le- levels in so it's just a, a pretty cool way of trying to bring back some of the predictability yeah, I think that defensive adjustments is, is something I'm interested in to see going forward you know one thing that I think quads actually does better than your traditional empty, you know, three by two uh, is it gives the offense, I think more options for protection. And that sounds, it can sound weird because it, you know, you're, you're the quarterbacks alone back there, but in quads, usually there's a tight end or running back kind of down there. And I've seen uh, offenses chip with one of the um, tight ends or running backs. And uh, it, I think it simplifies protection in the sense that I haven't seen very many defensive line do exotic stunts or blitzes into quads and and perhaps they're checking out of them or or as you noted they have one single check that they uh, go to so I'm interested to see if defenses say hey you know what we can actually keep that stunt on we're gonna we're gonna keep that blitz and we're gonna figure out uh, a sound coverage behind it and that's because you know I think Sean was noting you you learn certain coverages uh, when it's two by two as the base and then you learn the three by one adjustment to it, right? Adding in that fourth guy for some coverages makes the rules very complex and schemes may not have uh, caught up. And, you know, even in a three by one, when the offense isolates their, let's say best receiver on the backside, you can still double that guy, right? A weak side safety in your traditional too high can can double that guy while also poaching uh, verticals or crossers or, or anything like that. Whereas four by one, it does make it harder. And I think LaFleur's creativity, especially kind of beyond the first point, right? 
beyond, okay, I'm just going to put Devontae Adams on the backside and run stuff. It's like, no, I'm going to put extreme pressure because if I run him on a dig or a flag from the four side, you're going to try and uh, you're going to have to bring numbers there. And we're just going to be, we're going to be playing basketball on grass um, essentially. So uh, I think that the protection point is, is interesting and uh, seeing how people uh, use their receivers and, you know, that Cowboys point, I, I haven't seen anybody else use that kind of think spatially where linemen can uh, line up and, and be that really just becomes a super extension of the run game, you know, throw it out to your, uh, best receiver or running back out there in space, have linemen out there, make it a, a punt return type play. So I'm interested to see if, if uh, more offenses try that. Yeah, that, that's the Kiffin stuff. We need Kiffin back in the NFL, which I would know one outside of maybe the Zoom call is clamoring for, but that, that's, we, that's why we need him back, man, because then we'll get some really cool, weird, funky stuff. But LaFleur has been particularly interesting in the the backside guy is almost never Adams at this point. There's the point is to have Adams in the four side. And then they really use a condensed reduced split with that one side. As you mentioned, there is two of those guys are usually chipping. Often those guys are not in the progression, but because there are four guys, then they make the check. So it's just the classic cat and mouse game of we'll still just run a three man concept to one side, but we know we've got better protection and we know what we're going to set their call to be essentially. So it, it's just a, it, it's been a pretty cool thing to see. Um, it, I got to that piece from this, this kind of strand I've had throughout the season, which is how are these outside zone, then boot guys, the wide zone, the boot action guys who've just wrecked shop across the league for the last three, four years and forced everyone into this world we live in now that everyone listening will have heard ad nauseum of the two high safeties and what defenses are doing from there as a response to all these outside zone and boot guys. I think it's been fascinating to, to track how each of them has tried to kind of evolve within their own little infrastructures. Cause as you noted uh, before, Dan is these guys all come from the same place, all buddies, probably still in a group chat somewhere. So you would think they would almost have similar default answers to getting hit with the same responses, but because of personnel, because of individual know-how, individual knowledge, individual creativity, they've all kind of split off into different factions of how they're trying to address this thing where the league en masse has said, we think this is the response to the McVeigh, Shanahan, Stefanski system. I think that you make a good point. Personnel is such an important thing because as we know, players make plays, right? We talk a lot about coaches and we're X's and O's on a chalkboard, but the players are the ones who are really doing it. And you can see with Stefanski in Cleveland, they have this situation where they just have Maulers and they have Nick Chubb, who is certainly one of the best running backs in the NFL. So they'll get in these YY wing sets where there's two tight ends and pre-snap, they'll shift one tight end over. They'll trade him to the other side. Then they'll shift that other one over. So you just went from extra gaps to the left to extra gaps to the right. Then they can run counter the other way. They have strong gap scheme runs. They do run zone, but their gap seam runs seem like their home run attacks. And of course, McVay has Matt Stafford now, so they can get into Gunmore. And of course, the last few weeks have been kind of up and down, but you have, of course, more versatility, just like how LaFleur has Rodgers and Adams. But to me, one of the, one of my favorite ones is just watching Kyle Shanahan's run game, just continue having special players with uh, George Kittle and Kyle Juszczyk and seeing one of their concepts. Uh, I think people just call it Zorro, where it's a toss and it's really based on, kind of fighting against three down fronts. So if you're in a two high structure, it's going to inform your front. 
And a lot of times you can see people, they're in the tight front with two wide nines. So you have a guy over the nose, two guys on the inside shades, uh, kind of of the tackle, uh, and then guys on the outside. And so these outside guys usually are linebacker types where a lot of the Shanahan run stuff doesn't want to have a tight end ISO on a true defensive end. And so these, you have Kittle and you check motioning through to really attack these kind of outside spaces. And it's, it's really fun to see. And I uh, kind of, hopefully we see a continued evolution with that. The diversification of the run game is a big one. I've, I've, I've been basically banging my head against the wall now for three weeks, trying to write this piece on Tampa Bay that will just not come out of my fingertips for whatever reason onto the actual page. And as I'm sure you guys are aware, I write in like 6,000 world clusters. So you, it is a massacre in the, the the notes page of that column I'm trying to squeeze out there. Um, but they really went like, okay, people are playing this way. We're going gap scheme run heavy. We're running basically a single man power. That's our entire run scheme now. No more outside zone. We're an outside zone and duo team. Okay, now we're just going to run gap schemes all the entire, the entire time. So that is one evolution that we've seen. I think in terms of trying to hit the explosives in the pass game, you mentioned that McVeigh goes to, okay, now we're super spread. I get in the gun, super spread, no more motion, no more nothing. They're all onto that stuff. Super spread from the gun. You get Shadowhan, who basically says, I'm going to kind of reinvent the boot action again by drafting Trey Lance. I'll put a power runner in this scheme, something we have not seen before in the scheme in the modern era since Elway, basically, which is a guy who can run power read and then can run boot action, and then we think can play in the spread too. So it's it's just this this fascinating thing to watch them all kind of split off into their own little. They all put their chips on one on a different thing, and it's interesting. I mean, for McVeigh, it's it's uh, parts falling apart again, as we've seen that the, the consistent thing of he gets to midpoint of the season, everyone starts to self scout, starts to reevaluate. He, he gets into some kind of trouble, and his gamble was that Matthew Stafford will be so individually good if I take out a lot of the scheme design and I say, hey quarterback it's on your shoulder take me to the promised land well this guy's supposed to be good enough to do it for me uh, he kind of just absolved himself of the scheme he's like yeah yeah, don't worry about the scheme man i got matthew stafford now yeah it's been interesting to see their concepts are they are what they are right and maybe the wrinkles aren't as they don't have the same breadth as some of the lafleur wrinkles you know you see those high low concepts you see arches run in different ways kind of out of stack and of course it's such a bummer seeing robert wood's uh, injured because he's a vital part of just different things they do and kind of expanding their versatility. But yeah, they got, they certainly have work to do kind of going forward. Dan, has anything jumped out to you? Who, who do you think has adapted best to having that kind of main part of their offense, not necessarily taken away. Cause if you still run it well, you can still run it. Um, certainly I know a lot of the, the deep overs and the crosses and stuff. people have built in specific things to kind of break that. And we feed immediately. There's the break back, to what the flag, whatever you would call, um, break back to the corner, that everyone's building their own thing off the over to try and get you to bite on the over now. That's kind of a mini, mini little battle that's happening every single week out there. LaFleur, I think, has probably done the best adapt adaptation job, but he also has Devontae Adams and Aaron Rodgers. Um, and even he at weeks has just led, led into power run game, right? That's, like, that's what we're doing too. If you're going to keep the two two guys back there and you're going to try and bait us into the run, then cool. We'll, we'll run it down your throats. That's what they did to the Rams in the playoffs last year, for instance. Yeah. I think the answer is a little bit incomplete and unfair because, you know, if I had to rank it, I would probably say maybe Shanahan and LaFleur one A and one B and, and however uh, you want to go. And then McVay's adjustment second, but you know, Robert Woods, 
is a huge uh, piece of that offense, particularly with his versatility and blocking ability. And then uh, Stafford being banged up um, makes it kind of a question mark, right? Like we don't know exactly how hurt he is and his ability to improvise, get out on boot with his athleticism, throw from different uh, arm angles. How much of that is being compromised with his uh, back, elbow, et cetera, right? At the same time, if I had to rank the three quarterbacks, you know, Rodgers is, is the best one there. And then probably, you know, Devontae Adams is the best receiver uh, out of all these teams. So um, it's it, it makes it a little bit uh, easier not to take away. You know, I, I love what, what lafleur has been doing. Um, I think Shanahan's been really unique. And uh, the way he's used Debo San- Samuel has been, <laughs> I mean, watching it, sometimes you, you think it's just like a modified modern single wing type um offense and and that's really interesting it's also interesting to see that you know there is just I just don't believe that he doesn't have or at somewhere in his notebook or on a board somewhere deep in the uh, San Francisco locker room all this Trey Lance stuff that's just waiting to be brought out that the fact probably is that Trey Lance is not ready as a complete quarterback he's not ready to execute what is on the chalkboard but I think that, at least in his mind, it, it is um, there. We'll see whether it actually ever plays out uh, on an NFL football field. Yeah, I think that's a really important point. Uh, Mark Schofield and I did a pod right after the Lance Cardinals game, which was way too long as usual, uh, focusing a lot on that answer of the thing Shanahan designed when he went away to figure out his answer to this problem He's not been allowed to use yet and not allowed. I know he's in charge. He can decide, but the guy just isn't ready. He's taken jump up from the FCS. He's had the year off because of COVID essentially played one exhibition game, essentially. Um, And there's all over the place against the Cardinals with really cool, creative answers, particularly in the run game. So let's be talking about there. There's the escort motion. Everyone loves where you fire, you check across. He's attacking the line of scrimmage in motion. Basically they do some really cool stuff with hesitation blocks that no one else in the league outside of Baltimore is able to get away with. And their bet is they can run all that Baltimore run game stuff and all of Kyle's passing stuff and put it in one package, as opposed to the Greg Roman situation you have where the, the, the genius architect of the run game in the NFL, the guy, and then the passing game is a complete abomination. And no one can figure out why. Why he doesn't pick the phone up to someone else and say, can you send me 12 pass plays because we'll just wreck the league. You know, it's a, we know Shanahan could do the one side thing. And he basically went on Google, said Greg Roman's playbook, which is that people could Google right now. Go, You can go and get the Baltimore Ravens playbook. It's on a website somewhere. You can go and get the one, the uh, Niners, the Colin Kaepernick playbook where they, where they hammered the, the Packers in the playoffs. That is out there on Google now if you just typed in. Kyle Shannon did that. Bang, 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 bang. Cool. Ripped all the plays. Put them in the Trey Lance package. And we just haven't been able to see his answer yet. I think it's it's going to be so much fun to see because the quarterback as part of the running game just causes so much stress on defenses in terms of if you're already moving gaps just to just to try and be gaps down on defense. And if you're already playing too high and trying to have people steal gaps in different ways, some people call it gap and a half. Some people call it react attack or different kind of modifications of those. It's just, it, it's just too hard almost to think about what, what happens when you have someone that's a real threat. And of course, offenses are going to be hesitant to r- run a quarterback 20, 25 times. You're not going to see that, I don't think, but just the stress that even causes me to kind of think about, well, how do you fit this? And how do you determine what are we going to do? What are we going to give up? And because no coverage is going to stop every play the same way that no front is going to stop every single run. You're going to eventually get 
kind of push out one way or the other and kind of figure out what what can we live with in this situation last thing on those that that specific branch coaches and that kind of design of attack have you been surprised sean that it has looked this constipated or something that is a very natural check that they would have been well aware was coming writ large because i there's we can give all the the caveats right that the stafford injury he's clearly i mean he's clearly hurt and he was just wrecking people before he got hurt basically garoppolo we know is not the guy who's going to take you there just on his own shoulder and eyes and all that stuff right um Baker Mayfield, completely torn body. For some reason, keeps getting thrown out there. I don't even know how the union allows that, frankly. It's crazy that he's allowed to play football still. This guy is just broken. Uh, so the, there's caveats you can give as well. But even within that, it's like they can't, people were running steady doses of too high against these guys last year and the year before. It's not like this magic out of thin air. And they're like, oh, my God, why is everyone running some kind of Tampa 2 now? That, that's not what we were seeing the whole time. Has it surprised you that it's been this effective in one glut where they all kind of hit a wall together? Yeah, certainly. It's always surprising to me to see, I mean, really offensive struggle. They have the rules in their place. Uh, they have all these factors kind of helping out. It may just be something as, sim- as simple as, look, these, the motions, the jet motions, escort motion or return motion, every single kind of everything that you have, maybe defenses are just a little more used to seeing that. So they're not getting thrown off in the same way the first time you see Robert Woods take a jet sweep you you might freak out or at the high school level you see it and sometimes there's these difficulties adjusting but maybe simple as that something where offensive line play may may be a little bit more just just off a little bit and so yeah it's kind of surprising it'll be interesting to see how kind of they continue to adjust going forward I just can't believe Dan that these guys thought they cracked the game then Belichick, because the, the almost the national narrative is Belichick runs the 6-1 box. Fangio does it to them once in the season. The Bears get McVay. Then Belichick does it in the Super Bowl, 6-1 box. They play off. The whole thing implodes. And all of a sudden, everyone else goes, aha, maybe we should do something similar to what Bill does in the Super Bowl. And all of a sudden, that means that this whole thing kind of spirals down and everyone has to reset. Is, is it just as simple as that everyone branched off guys from one organization, went to another organization, as Sean was saying there, that you just pick up on tendencies easier. You just get better at defending checks. The motion isn't as scary and freak anymore because these guys in college have seen all this stuff 10,000 different times before they get to the league. Well, you know, I think that Sean's certainly right. The more you get to practice against it, the more the defenses get to see it, the defensive coordinators get uh, full off seasons to, to review it. That's going to be a big piece. Uh, but I, I also think it's, it is personnel based. And uh, when the scheme switches as a whole, right? Like the, the league is playing more too high, playing more too high on early downs than uh, basically ever before. The question is, okay, how can defenses do that? What personnel allows them to do that? So you look at the kind of Seattle cover one, cover three match type uh, defense. What made that go, right? It's big corners with long arms uh, to stop quick game, get in uh, receiver spaces, um, a thudding uh safety like cam chancellor and then earl thomas you know who can cover sideline to sideline and then not even that's not even mentioning wagner and and the the ferocious d line and you have a bunch of those spinoffs right and why do those spinoff coaches uh from that system not necessarily succeed is because 
it wasn't really the system, right? It was the 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 play, the players, the, the Hall of Famers. Yeah, if you give right, us six right. Hall of Famers at every <laughs> level, by the way, that's the other thing about them. It's not like just Bills Giants teams where it's like, give me Hall of Famers up front. It's like, would you like two at every level? Yes, please, and let's go build a defense. Right, exactly. Right. So you take that scheme, which you know, which it does have obviously valid and, and uh, good answers, and Carroll himself has. Uh, made certain adjustments in in games against uh, the Rams that uh, have been have been impressive. But now when you when you convert to this uh, too high, I think that a few things happen, right? So the Rams last year had uh, John Johnson um, have the the green dot on the the helmet. That's kind of a, a unique move. So are you going to have um, players uh, safeties do that more, right? Are you going to have safeties be the communicators um, of the defense. So that that's going to require a, a specific type of uh, cerebral player. Um, I think right now, the thing that defenses in two high shells are, are valuing most when I look at this game is versatility, right? You don't want to just line up and show too high and just, just stay in it and know you're playing cover two, right? This isn't kind of the, um, Hey, we have Derek Brooks, Brian Urlacher, they can cover uh, the, the entire middle and we're just going to stay in this and um, not come out of it. So I see, I mean, like, for example, the Chiefs, right? They'll play cover two, but they'll do it out of one high and turn Matthew will come down. Um, and one of the reasons it wasn't successful in the beginning of the season is because, uh, you know, Daniel Sorensen struggled covering that deep half. Uh, I think the Cardinals run a ton of cover two, but they do it out of a bunch of different looks. A bunch of different players can play uh, flat, can play the deep, um, half and it makes it it makes the quarterback hesitate for just a second. Um, so I, I would I would be interested in uh, you know DBs um, and safeties who can play both ways uh, in terms of deep and um, short cerebral players versatile players right like a, how the Rams use Jalen Ramsey he is one of the best in the game right that's a, that's another um, story but using DBs and kind of creative. Um, ways and then versatility isn't just for the secondary you know the way the Cowboys have used uh, Parsons Mike the Parsons has been fascinating too and he has been the best example I think of being kind of a boot eraser right defenses are running uh, to the to the boot action they're saying don't chase that wide zone don't fill, stay the gap just attack the quarterback and there have been countless times where um I feel watching the, the film, the quarterback looks up and, and doesn't understand or doesn't contemplate how fast Parsons actually <laughs> is, right? It's like, oh my God, this, this is a different level of speed. Um, and I don't think those kind of guys grow on trees, but I think that uh, there will be a more, a look for that kind of uh, versatility and, and speed and um, future type uh, edges. So I'm interested to see how the, how the personnel uh, defensive personnel shifts as the um, as we see more too high than ever. This is my main complaint with Kirk Cousins that I think Kirk Cousins often forgets how fast everyone else is around him, and that he doesn't have a great sense of how quick the league is. Which I know sounds daft because he's <laughs> shredding defenses every week. But if you watch him, particularly on 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 rollouts and when he's when, when any kind of boot action design or when he gets hit, no one looks more shocked ever than when Kirk Cousins gets hit because he did not expect it to happen because he felt he had more time because the guy doesn't realize quite how fast those fellows up front, even though they look like they're 300 pounds, that they're way quicker than everyone else basically walking the earth over three seconds. Um, let's dig more into this, this 
too high stuff then because that's what we keep saying all these conversations about it's the too high world it's the too high world so there's nine million different directions we can go in this could be a 50 part epic because we're basically discussing here the history of football all right and we just have moved back to this you mentioned there those great bears teams and there's obviously the tampa two is because they run that thing in tampa and they they had warren Sapp and lynch and they they win all they win the super bowl we're, we're moving back to that time but i do think that this is almost similar now to the the shifts we had in offense from 07 to to now which is same landmark different presentation which you were referencing there and the thing that you get from these two high structures which i think why people have reinvested in so much is the understanding that as you mentioned there we'd all have to live in a seattle world where seattle was like well we're gonna run ripley's match and we're gonna rotate a guy down the weak side okay cool or we'll rotate a guy to the tight end cool and then they were like we're so good why are we rotating it's everyone knows what we're doing let's just line a guy up there cool preset pre-roll no problem no one else has Hall of Famers, as you mentioned before. They go to Jacksonville, like, we're going to be preset. And it's like, okay, good luck with that. You have Jalen Ramsey, you have no one else on the team. It, the thing with this, with the too high shell they have is you can still get to all that stuff you enjoy in cover one, cover three, whatever you want to run, any little iteration of that, you can get to it from the same structure. It's harder to get to the too deep structure from the single one because it's just easier to move forward than it is to move backwards as you're reading stuff out, particularly if you're trying to trigger against the run. And it allows them to add in all the different disguise stuff. Basically, they can get to the same menu of their single high coverages, but from starting out with two deep players. And to me, it's just this shift in mentality, which whenever I speak to a coach, whenever I speak to them, first thing they, they say to me is, you focus too much on the pass. And I'm always thinking about run fits because I always have to be sound against the run. And more and more, as you said there, this green lighting thing that defenses are doing that Dennis Allen does a lot with the Saints, which is we do not care about that cutback with the run as much anymore. It's still terrifying. We still don't want a 40 yarder to pop because that's how everyone gets sacked. But we care way more about Aaron Rodgers rolling out with time and a clear vision and him throwing the ball 60 yards down the field. We need to stop explosives in the pass game. And so you've just seen this whole shift to say, we have to just admit we live in a, it's a, it's a passing league. We live in a passing world and we are here first and foremost to shut down the pass. And if it means a light box and then running into it, we will live with those consequences. We will fast trigger the run and we're going to play from back to front rather than having our guys moving backwards. Yeah, football is such a, a fight for space. You know, I think sometimes you may hear a casual fan say, well, why don't they just run it over there? And so the, the defense can't fully dictate. They don't get to snap the ball. They don't get to choose where it goes. But the defense can certainly encourage and say, you know, you see some of these looks uh, that the Rams had last year in the playoffs against the Packers. And look, there's open space in, in, in the, these levels of the field where there's not this huge umbrella kind of dome, or some people say a dome over the top of it. And so the defense can, yeah, they choose a priority because you can't stop every single thing every single time. And I think that as much as if we have problems with analytics uh, in some way or the other, you're still, it's harder to drive the ball 15 plays at a time. And I think as an, if I was an offensive coordinator, I would certainly like to just have these, these huge uh, explosives that kind of just make life easier for an offense. And they stop you from having just be right on every single little thing. One of the big things that you guys highlight, have highlighted many different times is this idea of this is not Michigan State, right? We're not just playing press quarters on every single down because we think that's the best structure. This isn't college where you come in with your structure, your philosophy, and you say, let's match this up with what you run and may the best team win, right? This is the NFL. 
So there's every single formation in the world is available to the offense and you cannot be static in the modern game. So you just have to find different ways to get to the same landmarks. So you may say we're running a bunch of Tampa too, but you have to have so many different presentations to get to those same two back and one running the pole, basically. Um, what has leapt out to you this season as being kind of two or three of the go-to structures that the, the, the defenses have kind of shifted to en masse? I think the number one one has to be, uh, some people call it one cross, some people call it one hole, but basically you're kind of man underneath, you're in man match, so you're looking at trade crossers. And so you start in a too high structure. There's different rules. I think some teams do it a little bit differently, but oftentimes you'll see it where the weak side safety, so the backside of three by one, that safety is coming down with eyes towards the trip side, and he's trying to rob a crosser. He's trying to work with, that man defender, that man defender will usually be on the outside uh, when they're covering the two on the inside of the trips. And so they're working to close that off. And the Broncos just, it's, it's honestly art sometimes seeing how these people are trading these routes off at full speed, just, and then the even harder part is where if you're trading your route, some teams do, I think Alabama probably has it a little bit better where you can become the new kind of high rat as one way to call it to eye anything else that's coming across. And so that one has to be, You'll see it on third down a lot. You'll see it from different presentations, just maybe safeties like they'll show it a little bit more kind of earlier. And that's one where you see Kansas City versus Denver this past week where they, one of the issues for Kansas City, of course, is that defenses are going to look at Kelsey and Hill first as they should. And so Kansas City had this concept where they were running mesh a bunch and they had a kind of a, a soft crosser and he just kind of went, straight up. I know Lincoln Riley has things where they call it shallow sting. It's not exactly like that, but you can also play on that uh, as the offense. You know that you're likely going to have a safety coming down and maybe you can get someone over there by having a little a stutter or a kind of a longer concept in there. But one cross, uh, and then of course some people call it one hole, that's going to be something that it's, it's, it's not a brand new coverage, right? It's an old coverage, but it's interesting to see it in ways where you have special players kind of expressing it. Yeah, the, the, to me, that, that kind of whatever you you'll call it lurk robber and one guy dropping in and the other guy dropping into into the middle of the field what is interesting to me is how much now mark bullock and i did a podcast yesterday about how, how washington uses three safeties and they get they get to all these same coverage shells but with three guys there so two of them are moving to somewhere that, that's kind of what you know you're gonna get and so they can get to the exact same look that you're describing there, one cross, but they do it with starting with three guys deep and one guy goes down, one guy bails out, one guy is really rolling down to whether it's the flat, wherever he's rolling to. Uh, I am pleasantly surprised with the level of innovation, even within the season of, of getting from these, these shells to what would almost be generic looks that you would, what if you, once you drop the final landing spot, it looks like something that you would see all the time, but that people have been really creative about how they get to that look. Cause they just want movement and they want layers in the defense basically. Yeah. And one thing the defense is always going to have the smallest level of advantage of is look, the offense can't move two players uh, at the snap. Right. And so the defense can't. So take advantage of that one small thing that you have, right? You can have jet motion, but you can have three DBs moving together and having a three safety system, which like people as really, really spokes kind of moving across each other. That's, I mean, frustrating. And especially if, if you're facing wide zone boot guys, where once that quarterback turns his head and if he's looking at something and opens his eyes when he comes back around and just sees a whole entire different structure, that's, that's going to be difficult. And 
you know, I think certainly the name of the game is make things as difficult as you can for the offense. Dan, that's a point that Cody Alexander, who is like the match quarters guru, he's been harping on for God. I, it has to now be nine, 10 years, honestly. And it's like the, the NFL is now running it for him, which must just bring so much joy to his heart that if they're going to turn their back to you and you're as a league having a meltdown because Aaron Rodgers is turning his back and you don't know if he has the ball or not, maybe you should change the picture so that when his eyes return, it looks different than when he turned his back, right? That's like one of the, it sounds really basic once you get down to it. And, and Sean and Cody are, are, uh, are friends and, uh, and talk a lot about uh, football and, and uh, we go, Sean goes to Cody's uh, game. So I want to make sure that Sean can uh, speak further about that. But yes, we have been reading his stuff for quite some time now uh, about, hey, this might be a good uh, wrinkle. I, I think that just speaks to uh, how smart how smart Cody is and uh, how good of a football mind uh, he has. I've, I've been just impressed with kind of the audacity of defenses to play so much too high on early downs. Right. A lot of uh, the NFL coaches have decades worth of uh, experience. Sometimes they're hesitant to change. Uh, But then when you look at the hard and not only the the eye test, right, what are the number? What are your what are your eyes telling you? But the numbers points are way down. Right. Uh, by, By percentage. And so why is that number of explosive plays are being limited? How do you do that? There a lot of answers have been too high, but. As we said, it's not just static too high, right? It's people moving. It's creating confusion. It's causing the quarterback to hesitate for uh, an extra half second. And that can be that can be confusing for any quarterback. But then when you add that there's like five rookie quarterbacks playing at any given time during this year, their, uh, their head could be spinning um, for that. So I'm interested to see. You know, it is a whole change in philosophy, I think, as you mentioned, right? Coaches have been so programmed, stop the run first, stop the run first, stop the run first. And it doesn't happen overnight that a coach looks at it and says, hey, look, we're just getting burned on whatever the concept is or whatever the philosophy is. And we just need to completely think backwards. We need to think back to front and not uh, front to back. But I think the results are showing that coaches are now adhering to that philosophy, and uh, the results are, are less points, less big plays. And um, I, I think Sean and I were talking at the beginning of the year after maybe like four, three, four weeks and kind of just saying, hey, do you feel that defenses are ahead or defenses are winning uh, right now? And we both kind of had that thought independently. And, and I think the rest of the year, um, the film and, and the stats kind of bear that out. Yeah, I, I wrote a piece this week where I looked at, EPA of the quarterbacks for the last five years. And I forget who Kyler Murray is top right now, right? And Kyler Murray missed three games. So he may have been amazing, stay top in the uh, top of EPA per play, may have, may have got even more. But Kyler Murray right now, having missed three games, even on a per play basis, would have ranked sixth last year in EPA per play. The guy who ranked sixth this year, who name currently escapes me, would have been 16th last year. So the middle class of the NFL, if you're not special, basically, this is really just messing with you. The whole system is falling apart and you're having a difficult time. Where I, th- what I think is interesting is we mentioned all the really good ones there. We've, we've hit mostly on Fangio. Where are you at? And I'll, I'll come back to you, Dan. With the guys who, because there's there's so many different too high structures. There is the, the where you can move. There's where you can just sit off, right? 
And even within that, the, the thing that I always come back to is the layering of the defense, right? And the levels of the defense is you can still compress the field and have two guys deep. Two guys deep against Lamar Jackson is not the same as two guys deep against Justin Herbert. You set the guys at different points along the field, right? You go and watch the Colts and they are so deep. It's like borderline preposterous. They are like, yes, nothing goes behind us. And Vass has this rant all the time because Vass hates NFL football, even though he lies and pretends like he likes uh, professional football, where it's like they don't have enough time with the players to run a whole bunch of zone match stuff. So they play all this spot drop and they just say, Everything in front of us, hit landmarks, everything in front of us. They're not running all the cool, crazy Nick Saban, Kirby Smart stuff. Uh, where, uh, How much of an evangelist are you for too high, if you are? Um, I, yeah, that, that's basically what I'm trying to get at is spot dropping. Does that drive you bonkers watching film? These, these deep. <laughs> I watched the Colts versus the Bucks, and I almost threw up on my laptop twice. Because it's like, it's almost like, I don't want to say, it's like, it doesn't feel like defensive football. Do you know what I mean? It doesn't feel like the Baltimore Ravens at the peak of the powers. It feels passive and yet it's successful. It's like, we want to wait for you to make a mistake. Yeah. So, I, you know, uh, I would say I'm not the biggest fan of spot dropping. Um, you know, obviously, the better players you have, the, the more you can do it. I think. Um, Nick Saban has this old quote with, with respect to Dan Marino, just basically saying, you know, running to this coverage spot, it isn't going to do anything when, when Marino can throw it into uh, these, these tight windows. Um, so it does depend on the personnel you're playing, but you know, for, for the Colts, it might be aesthetically annoying to, to watch sometimes, but their overarching philosophy is you, right. As you said, you will not get behind us, right? No big plays. And if that is the philosophy, the, the no explosives, you know, it's just taken to the extreme uh, there. They also, you know, we're not uh, in the building. Maybe, maybe uh, they don't feel uh, like, you know, maybe they don't have enough time or maybe they don't feel like they have the athletes to match up with uh, other teams, receivers, um, the strength of their defenses, you know, Buckner, uh, Leonard um, and elsewhere. Um, but, you know, the, the Colts also have been, um, relatively successful over uh, the last few years as well, right? If they're, if they're putting out three and 13 uh, seasons, we'd kind of reassess uh, where they, where they are. Um, that being said, I think the best defenses are the ones that are going to uh, pattern match are going to be flexible, versatile. They're more likely to be the defenses that are going to confuse um, offenses, create turnovers, um, get big, uh, big stops. So uh, I, I would say, you know, you could be successful with, with the kind of bland country cover three or spot dropping uh, cover two philosophy. Uh, I think it has, without all fame type players, it has, uh, it has limited uh, upside, I would say. Do you think that this is a mini cycle where we go through this season and maybe next season on parts next season? Or do you think we're moving wholesale back into this is going to be a five, six year run here as the kind of Seattle stuff was. And this is just where it's going to go. You mentioned before about the body types you have to draft, the kind of players you have to draft. Do you think people are going to gear themselves to this? Because no matter what you kind of talk about philosophically, and if you're interviewing, you know, a DC for the job, whatever, everyone wants to run man free. 
if they can. If you got the players, you're a man free every down and you, you you all have a party and you usually lift the Lombardi trophy. That's kind of how the league works. Um, and even if you go through the best defenses, like this idea of the, the light box theory, Cody again has written about the light box theory. It's on you go, those defenses have not been successful. It's like it's really fun theory to discuss, but the the Chargers run defense is abominable and they are not good on defense. It's not like that this thing of daring you to run and then limit explosives has really worked for a whole bunch of these teams. Now, for some of them, it has, but the best teams in the league, New England, they still play a whole bunch of man coverage. They still play a ton of cover one. The Cardinals, God knows what they run half the time. I don't even think they know what they're running half the time. It, it's <laughs> it, they, they blitz from every single angle, and two guys end up in, in the defensive backfield looking around going, like, we're supposed to be here, right? Buffalo, I mean, they've run a bunch of cover two this season, but they don't really want to be a cover two team, right? They kind of mix and match and dabble week to week. So it's not as if, the teams that have lent into this really heavily have been the most successful in the league. It's the, those specific structures have limited a certain style of offense that is kind of the most glamorous, most famous and suppressed the best quarterbacks in the league, essentially. You know, so I'm interested to see uh, while that is true for Staley right now, I'm interested to see over the next few years, if he commits to this and uh, the chargers draft accordingly, right. With the Rams, he he did have, uh, I think, a tremendous amount of success. That's easier with Aaron Donald, Jalen Ramsey, right? It's it's going to be um, just an easier process when you have Hall of Fame type players. But if he specifically looks for certain draft types, you know, which according to his scheme and, and philosophy are really good fits, I think it will be a couple of years or he could still uh, elevate back to where they were uh, with the Rams. I, I think the league generally – you know, it's going to be a couple, it has to be a couple year cycle. I don't think it's just going to be a one year uh, thing. The, the question is like, what are offenses now going to do to attack uh, what defenses are going to do and who are going to be the outliers? You know, as you said, so New England plays basically the, the least amount of too high and quarters in the entire league, but they also, I mean, from what I've seen, I think are the best, basically the best defense in, in the NFL this year, right? So there's still more than, uh, one way to do it. And, and I wonder why Belichick does that, right? Does he think that, okay, this is my philosophy? No, because he's been willing to change over and over and over, right? Does he think that this is the best uh, use of his personnel? Probably. And then last, I, I wonder, does he think, okay, the entire league is running too high right now. So practices, offenses practice against too high more than ever. Can I get away with playing more one high because of that? Um, now, that requires guys who can actually play uh, one high. But he's also, in everything he does right now, is kind of bucking the trend, right? Around the league, you have faster linebackers. <laughs> the Patriots still have 260, 270-pound linebackers. And, and it's uh, you can see it on the film. It's different, right? The way they hit and, and the impact it makes on um, linemen and, and running backs trying to block uh, them in pass pro, you, you really do see it. Um, there is so nothing more glorious yeah. in the league right now than a guard wrapping around being like, oh, ho, ho, I know what I do. I climb up to the second level and some guy who was basically a safety is going to come here. And then all of a sudden, here's Dante Hightower cracking him yeah. in the face. And he's like, whoa, man, this is like, this is like the first day of freshman class. This is that's a big boy. Yeah, they have Bentley Van Noy him. It's like that's that's there's a real linebacker. I mean, they have one for every occasion, right? That's why he's built there. 
whatever I need week to week and down to down in the, both the safety room and at the linebacker level and up front. I mean, they, he can run. He has a different body shape. Every single one of those guys is different with a different skill set. What he's built, I, I I could not imagine he had a grand plan that he wants every single person to have a different competing skill set rather than having at least, you know, some base idea of what he, what he wants it to, to kind of be built out to. But now as he's in the season, it's like, wow, every week he can just be like, I'm going to feature that guy. That guy's going to play more snaps. We're going to run more of this. And they've just been super disguise-based this season, which is we'll look like we're going to play zone. We'll look like we might play with with two deep players, but we are not going to do that once the ball is snapped. Um, it has been a fascinating approach. Sean, is there anything we've missed out of the, the too high discussion in general that we should get into? I guess one way is attacking this thing. We mentioned the quads before. Go back to Belichick, right? He says, "Wait, let's just run the ball then. They're going to stand back there. This is a daring game, right? It's what we've seen with Mahomes this season. Everyone talks about they want to dare Patrick Mahomes to throw the ball. Ooh, you know, everyone's worried about that. How do you get them out of those two deep shells? you got to run them out of it. Let's run them out of the two deep shell. And you see the Patriots lean all the way into, cool, Let's th- this is what we'll be then. We will build a power-running football team and we'll move back into a power-running football era. Yeah, I think seeing teams kind of get into, I think early in the season, I felt like I saw it more than as opposed to more recently, with just having two tight ends on the field in different ways, going wide, wide wing, adding gaps, and again, having movable gaps that, look, those are going to cause stress for a defense. Uh, I also think that when you watch specifically college all 22 Oh, there's going to be a lot of times where you just don't know what the coverage is if you don't have the tag for it or if you don't really have some kind of end in the building because it's going to express differently each time. And so while the coverages I don't think are as complex at the pro level, but when you're seeing coverages that if you're watching it and you're like, I don't know what this is, then it's going to be hard for a quarterback to know every single time at full speed how something's going to express. And with that, I think being able to kind of simplify in offense in some ways, maybe that maybe that's a little better. I also think in... We always talk about run them out of too high, run them out of too high. Uh, but look, if you have too high and people are playing more loose quarters, you're underneath defenders. They're, there's going to be you're going to get drained out easier because one, there's less of them, right? When you think of Indies cover two, there's a lot of people underneath. But if you have kind of a big four high four end up having quarters umbrella, there's only going to be usually three defenders underneath and maybe going to old school things like just curl flat and just really kind of cause conflict for a linebacker. That's just, uh, of course, another way to attack it. And maybe that's what the defense wants, right? If the defense says, look, throw your 10 yard curl into a tighter window every single time, as opposed to running four verts out of a uh, bunch or out of trips one way, then maybe that's what the defense wants. The, the one thing that I've been somewhat surprised by, and I'll, I'll, I'm going to use Lamar Jackson's example here. And people do not play a ton of too high shells against Lamar Jackson and the Ravens. They play almost a different defense entirely when they play against Lamar Jackson and the Ravens. But the idea of featuring the quarterback in the run game, I was going to ask you guys about this, but we had other stuff we wanted to get to, so we won't harp on this that much. But I, I did think that this would be kind of the antidote where Lamar would have an unbelievable season against these certain shells in a way that other guys just could not do because they couldn't feature the quarterback in the run game, couldn't add an extra number into the box organically like that. And then you could just not live in that too deep world because there's a light box and there's a box where you're just getting completely overwhelmed by the fact that, as you mentioned, you've got a movable gap, you've got a, a use check, you've got a, a Patrick Ricard, and then you have uh, the best athlete in the field in the backfield. Oh, is that not just the best answer to this is to have the, the quarterback as it's the best answer to anything that is X's and O's base. I understand that to have the quarterback be the best player on the field as a runner really is helpful. Um, 
I'm surprised that hasn't been just more, hasn't been more of the answer, if that makes any sense. I think it's, it's, it's a good thought, right? All of us want to have Lamar Jackson on our team, I think, right? And you kind of like rewatch the Saints versus the Eagles. That's an example where, okay, a team is, at least maybe for the short term in the last few games, kind of committed to having a quarterback really involved in the run game. I just, I definitely have doubts that how much an offense is really, really going to kind of continue to press and feature their quarterback in the run game. Like I would love to watch Josh Allen run quarterback pin and pull, or even their, their way that they run counter bash. I would, I would want to see that all the time, but uh, certainly I think they recognize that, that the value of their player is going to be in the passing game and the Ravens it's, it's almost stressful for me sometimes because of course they struggle versus the dolphins and you'll constantly see people talking about their pass game falling off or maybe not falling off, just staying at this kind of lower level and kind of seeing Lamar, struggle with the blitz in one way or the other, whether they're just asking Lamar to make a blitz or miss. And yeah, I mean, you know, I'm, I want the Ravens to get healthy and I want them to get, continue to get fair chances at succeeding. On the quarterback run thing, Dan, I will ask you quickly. I will not force you to get into a deep detailed discussion of the quarterback run game though. That is what I wanted to do tonight, but I was overruled. So that's cool. I, I watch Bryce Young and I think this is what the future, it, it, it's Deshaun Watson, basically. It's pure improvisational, right? It's, the idea of having him actually as the zone read guy, I don't think anyone cares anymore. I think if if anything, as we're going to get into RPO discussions now, it's whether you decide as an organization to be the Dolphins and lean all the way into RPO, and that's how you kind of feature a quarterback and maybe you can escape out and extend the RPO in some way. Um, that That is... The idea of coming into the league and taking, uh, I mean, Cam is a freakazoid, I guess, but taking a Cam, trying to replicate some of the Lamar Jackson stuff, that as being a shift where four or five teams would try it, I just don't think it's going to happen. As you mentioned, the money is just too great. It's too much of, a, of an investment to take the QB. This idea I had back in uh, 2012 when I was writing these harebrained pieces about draft three quarterbacks and just keep cycling them through until one of them gets knocked out. The numbers game is so great. And uh, then you get to third and long and he's got a complete pass. It's not so great. The Saints tried it with Taysom Hill. God bless him. They, they did give it a good go. Um, and they still continue to try to do that for some reason. Um, but I, it does seem like the league has just decided like, look, it's a very fun thing in college, but we'll take the, the improvising guys, but we don't want straight line burners and we're running classic zone read it's just not going to happen you know yeah some of it really depends i think on uh, two things so the the financial investment is outside of kind of the scope of scheme right it just but it's just a reality we can't have and teams don't want a hundred million dollar quarterback taking hits from the fastest and strongest uh players uh in the league and um the other just depends on quarterback body type and and traits Cam Newton's aren't common, right? He, he's probably the best short yardage running quarterback maybe of all time. Lamar Jackson's speed, when you see it, he, he looks sometimes like he's running against high schoolers and he's running against, again, some of the best athletes uh, in the world. Those guys are just really rare. And there's so many things, you know, we talked about the Ravens passing game briefly. Lamar Jackson erases so many errors or um, problems through his scrambling and creativity um, with respect to the, the past concepts, right? So maybe not looking for the quarterback run scheme. You know, there are some, there are some things that, um, that are still available, right? New formations, or is there a quarterback run out of quads? Or can you actually play 
uh, to quarterbacks for a bit of time, right? It, it really hasn't been successful in any kind of meaningful, um, substantial way, but maybe the way they, the Saints used Taysom Hill when Breeze was there, right? Something um, like that. The question to me is when I watch college, who, which athlete at quarterback can I see doing something new or doing something at an even higher level um, than before um, when they transition to the NFL game? And then also looking for um, kind of those diamonds in the rough where someone sees maybe uh, a player who can't play quarterback full time, but can be useful uh, for a certain package or, or in certain spots. Um, and I think, uh, you know, Taysom is an example of that, but I think Belichick's been good, for example, of uh, looking at college quarterbacks and turning them into wide receivers, right? That's the opposite example, but can you find a trait or a skill set and use it um, through the, the, the quarterback um, running position is, is kind of interesting. Um, and, and on that note, I, I will say, I think I've seen more, not that the wildcat is back or anything, but I do see more direct snaps to running backs mm -hmm. when someone does want to take, when an offense wants to take advantage of the box count, right? I think New England snapped the ball directly to Damian Harris on the goal line, like 10 times this year, right? Last week I saw it with Jonathan Taylor and, you know, it's, it, it's reusing old stuff. It, it's not reinventing the wheel. It's just saying, Hey, you know, our quarterback is not this type of runner. Our quarterback is, we don't want them to take this kind of hit, but we want the numbers advantage. And this is how we are going to take it. I think the playoffs will be interesting because you've seen the Bills really decide, like, this is a week where in a high leverage situation, they are way more willing to say, we will unleash Josh Allen. The first two drives against the Chiefs, they say, we're a quarterback run team. The Chiefs like, wow, okay, this is really difficult to defend. And they say, you know what, we've got a lead. We don't want him to get hurt anymore. So it will be fascinating to see which teams decide, well, this is a do or die game. Now we're a quarterback run team. This is the play in the playoffs for a quarterback run team. The rest of the year, we don't want him to get hurt because we've got a lot of money on the line, but we also want to win the Super Bowl. So it's the playoffs. And now it's maybe time as the, as the stakes kind of ratchet up, do they do teams kind of embrace them all? Cause it's a really fun way and really cool way to not throw out what you do best as you go into the playoffs, but to bring such a new wrinkle that, that the other team just would not have prepared for to the, the, the extent they could have done if you had run it and laid it on tape all throughout the season. Yeah. I think at the college level too, just watching Kentucky this year has been really fun because they have, I think it's Liam Cohen who was with the, the Rams previously and then is calling plays down there. And they do have like some more of a melding of what we were talking about earlier with these wide zone boot guys and they have a lot of quarterback run game in there and it's fun to watch their quarterback kind of juke people out and hurdle them kind of in one in one clip and it's kind of curious to see how I know Stephen Reese was just like sending him a few messages and he was kind of talking about okay well maybe the Rams can get Stafford and Pistol maybe they can convince them I know that maybe that's not the most comfortable thing for him but to see okay well these systems are gonna trickle up in some sort of way and hope Hopefully they do, because I think I'll probably have more fun watching college offense than pro offense anyway. All right, let's let's uh, let's finish with the topic I, I really wanted to jump into with you guys, which is RPOs in the NFL. I wrote this giant piece at the start of the season that was like, where is the league going to go with RPOs? It felt like we had that real real initial surge. Okay, we had the, the Favre, Brady, Manning, Rodgers kind of box count, pre-snap, RPO, package play, whatever you want to call it. Read the box, pick, run, pass, all that stuff. 
uh, Rogers ran a bunch of package plays where it was like the, his, his run, but he could make it a slant if he wanted to, all that stuff. Then we get the Eagle Super Bowl run. Everyone learns what RPOs are. We have a great time. Um, the, the kind of pro game starts to slowly catch up with the college game in terms of first level and second level RPOs. And I was waiting for this kind of surge as the college game advanced so far with Sarkeesian and, and Lincoln Riley and all these guys running really more intricate RPOs at the second and third level, understanding, of course, the, the idea that linemen could move further down the field in college and all that stuff. But college so brought into the RPO as they did at the high school level where it all became about layering. How do you tie the run game to the RPO game, the RPO game to the play action game? And everything is built out of that middle foundation point, which is the goddamn fear of the RPO. These guys are terrified of it. Let's build the whole offense out of the fear of the RPO, even if we're not running the RPO. And it seems, you know, you just talk to it, just makes logical sense. It's the most terrifying thing, right? You can always be right as the offense. They can never be right as the defense. It's you go here, I go there, football. But I, I think certainly coming into the season, we'd hit a real point of stagnation where almost the we had so much of the, as we mentioned, the wide zone, then boot guys. Plus, those look like the new innovators in the league. And then you had the old footy-duddy coaches who were like, yeah, we're not running some of the RPOs. Where do you think we are at now in terms of RPOs across the league? I will start with you, Sean. Oh, I think we need to start off by just clapping our hands and seeing in what we're seeing on Miami. Cause I think that we should be really excited about actually making an offense that is going to let more people succeed. And I think it's really cool to see Tua take a snap, kind of have dead feet and pistol spin his neck in ways that I just, I just cannot believe reading like flop reads looking one way and kind of handoffs the other way. And so I don't know exactly how much that's going to be able to continue to spread, but it's just more fun to see. Like you see Kansas city ran, you can go one, two, three, clip after clip seeing, okay, they're running stick within behind inside zone. And this is the kind of soft read that they're having. And as you said, yeah, it's the ultimate conflict play. Right. And one way to get all your players out of conflict is just play cover one, right. Just play man. So you don't have any, your nickels, not hopefully not in the fit in any sort of way there. Uh, but do you want to play man coverage with Jalen Waddle, kind of the way he's running the way he's playing. So <laughs> My optimistic view is I want to see more, right? I want to see, I remember the, it was the first or second snap, I think of Trevor Lawrence in the preseason and just his footwork. It's so clear that he is someone that has, he's done this before. Right. And same with Tua, you've seen him in college. He is comfortable doing this. Right. And I think we can think of quarterbacks who Peyton Manning may have inadvertently ruined by us thinking, okay, every quarterback has to be able to play like that, or they have to be able to be like Drew Brees and they shouldn't right? quarterbacks shouldn't be forced into that. And, to expand the pool of players, especially as they're running it more in college. And I was at a, a game in high school this year where it, it, it just looks so beautiful. It's so sophisticated in every single play. Like they have beautiful, they can run GH counter and have their kind of fade out on the opposite side. And you can tag it, of course, beforehand, definitely give or definitely, definitely throw. So I'm just hopeful that'll continue to expand. I, I can't see the, the rule book guys getting too crazy and changing things to make it even harder, but I, I feel for linebackers when they're seeing kind of these guys just running downfield at you and then seeing a pass go over your head for sure. So for the listeners, the biggest kind of ongoing discussion, debate, hot topic among the scheme nerd world, which is like basically 15 people on Twitter, basically (laughs) having their own little discourse of which the three of us count ourselves among it is this dolphins offense, right? Is this thing an unsustainable dumping ground of 
lack of imagination or is it as you hear the excitement in Sean's voice this wonderful new breed of college football coming to the NFL and it's very exciting to see some of these Lincoln Riley concepts be wholly embraced at the NFL level not just like the Eagles who basically is saying we'll get to the to the red zone and then we'll run Lincoln Riley's offense which is quite fun quite a cool way of doing it Dolphins like no we run RPOs all the time that's our whole thing we are an RPO organization so Dan where are you at in this Miami Dolphins debate about people like to use the phrase offensive architecture. Now, I don't know where that came from. It drives me crazy. I don't know why. It's just the offense. I don't know where the word architect came in. Bit of an odd one. Where are you at with the Dolphins offensive architecture? So I think I'm a little less enthusiastic than, than Sean, but I think he makes, he makes the main point is that the rules are different in the NFL and college, right? And the inability for linemen to go a certain amount downfield uh, really limits what you can do from an RPO perspective, right? So you have, you know, the Dolphins run, uh, quote unquote, the most advanced version of it in that they'll run their glance uh, RPO probably deeper than anyone in the league and more consistent, right? But uh, otherwise, you have, you know, the, the Colts run stick RPO, Steelers run that kind of speed out. RPO, there isn't a ton of um, variance there. If the only way to, for NFL teams to be able to expand kind of the creativity that's at the college game is for the rules to change, right? Uh, the first thing I notice, and, and this is maybe why I'm not a huge fan, I get annoyed sometimes when, when there are throws with linemen downfield because it's, to me, it's unfair to the defense, right? Or I'm an offensive minded guy. I almost think it, it's not cheating, obviously, but it feels like, okay, of course you can throw the ball to a wide open guy when linebackers have sucked up because the linemen are four yards downfield. Like what kind <laughs> of key are you giving these guys? Um, and it, on, on a couple of throws of RPO throws uh, on glances that the Bills had on Monday night, <laughs> when they turned to Belichick that uh, he was freaking out and you, I read his lips. He said, they're downfield, they're downfield. And um, I understand what, what he's saying. So um, I understand, I get what Sean's saying about the beauty. And, and I agree to some extent, I, I get frustrated by the downfield and until the, the rules change, it'll be limited. Um, I think in terms of Tua and I think Sean and I have discussed this, he can be a successful version uh, NFL player with certain players around him, right? Because uh, RPO, the RPO world they live in, they're going to require a speed receiver, right? I, I think Waddle is that. I'm interested to see if Fuller gives them some kind of different dynamic. They're going to have to have receivers that make tight window catches. You know, Devontae Parker could be um, that guy. I think two would be, and, and really any quarterback would be better, but two specifically, if their line was a little bit better and they had a... Uh, more thumping run game uh, that would be helpful, but there's nothing wrong with, you know, a lot of teams would um, bend over backwards for the Dolphins success last year. And I think they'll probably finish nine and eight or 10 and seven um, this year. There's nothing wrong with going, um, going 10 and seven and then being competitive year after year, but having a somewhat limited ceiling, right? Um, if you ask the Lions fans, if they would take that, I think they, definitely would um I, I do think that there is a limitation to it i think the more defenses see it um the more i think brazen they will become with their tight coverage um and willingness to basically say okay you want to run on this rpo go ahead if you're going to throw this we are going to make the window 
so incredibly tight. And if Tua can do that over and over and over, uh, fine. But either way, I'm interested to see how it'll play out. There's a couple of things that's really particularly interesting with what they're running, which is where they run a first level read of the end man of the line of scrimmage, but the target point is deep down the field. So if listeners can imagine this, it, this is not the, the inside zone slant, bang, bang. Guy sucks up, like you said, you throw it behind his ear hole and he's like, ah, oh, fuck, I'm, I've fit the run. This is read the giant defensive end and then hold the ball, hold the ball, hold the ball, wait for a guy to clear into the second window. And, and I'm just watching it going, this is extraordinary because Tua is the greatest to ever do this. Honestly, in terms of the, the ball handling, as you mentioned, flopping the read and going to the other side, there's never been anyone be as disadvantaged with RPOs because that's he's a point guard. He's had to do that from Alabama and so on. It, it's a lot easier when you throw the ball and guys make plays after the catch. That's how he's built his entire game because he doesn't have the strongest arm and all that. He's not a, a guy who, who runs around and makes a ton of ludicrous plays with his legs but they're doing stuff I just cannot imagine they can continually get away with. At some point, someone's going to say, run through his chest. Like, we don't care about the run game. If he's going to read the, the, the first line and then wait and wait and wait, one, how they don't get caught downfield, I have no idea. They are constantly down the field. And at some point, someone in the league office is going to say, we got to keep calling this every week until they stop. And second of all, someone's going to run over the quarterback. Actually, I know it sounds old fashioned. It's like when the zone read first came in and all those old school coaches were like, we'll just smash the mesh point and at some point they'll have to stop doing it and it just never happened. But at some point, someone is just going to run through Tua like three times in a row. Yeah, I think that <laughs> maybe the less extreme version of that, like you can, if the quarterback is truly reading it, which I have my doubts just because there are times where Tua is not looking at anyone. So it's okay, this is a, this is in the structure of the play and it's not just based on his read, but as a defense, you can sort of invite what's going to happen, right? Like as kind of, as you said, maybe not just run straight through Tua, but yeah, instead of having your end feather or be like kind of in a surf technique, just, just have him attack, right? Force him to give it. And kind of, as Dan said, I don't know when I watch the Dolphins run game, I'm not particularly scared of them kind of handing the ball off. I'm certainly more scared of, of seeing Mike Gesicki kind of on that slide route going underneath and then having Wallach go over the top of it. So yeah, and I certainly have my doubts about the league office doing anything that's going to cap offense. I, I'm openly rooting for the defense, but <laughs> I, I can't think that the, the guys of the league are. Well, if anything, uh, specifically with the Dolphins, he doesn't give it as much as he should give it. You know, he's considered now, which is a wonderful new thing, right? We're in an era of about six years. He's the greatest RPO quarterback ever. I hear every analyst says this now. It's like, in a, you know, in the back, yeah, Paul Baker Mayfield back Oklahoma. I can't believe that people weren't watching the fact that they just torch people up and down the field for three years or whatever it was. Um, but yeah, the, the thing that I think is somewhat off with what they run is they have situation where guys are wide open down the field, but because of the structure of the read nature of the play, he's not viewing that because he's triggering on one thing. He's saying, I'm going from the run and I'm pulling it and I'm trying to hit. I'm thinking particularly of that. A lot of their wheel concepts are tied to this, right? Where they, they, it's some kind of deep route, whether it's a go or it's a post and there's the wheel coming behind it and he needs to hit one of those two guys Whereas there's other guys wide open down the field, particularly if he's running some kind of over from some kind of Y wing or whatever it happens to be, some kind of attached tight end there who is cleaning out to take the, the and they're reading the end man on the line of scrimmage next to the attached tight end. I feel like they almost, the RPO was supposed to make the game easier 
And part of their offense is almost overcomplicating things where they could just hit open guys. They just got in them and just played football. Do you know what I mean? It's like, it's fun to watch as a schematic nerd to say they're trying this stuff. And I feel like they could just be way more productive if they just said, hey man, just go out there and throw the ball. <laughs> I hear you on that. I, I think of these, like if you look at if you open up whatever NFL playbook is online and open it and like you see one, the play is lame, super long. And then you see all the reads written out and it's like, Okay, the first thing you're going to do is you're going to like glance the vertical, then you need to read the outside linebacker, and then you need to see is your receiver have leverage on it. And there's so many steps. And yeah, you're right. And there was a clip uh, this week versus the Giants where it was actually on one of the wheel concepts where just the other guy is wide open and poor guy is just jumping up and down and he's mad about it as he should be. But I don't know. I, I get that, but I, I'm, I'm more towards, let's just gear it towards him. And I think hopefully people aren't punching air too much here. And you said that we're in the, six-year era of the RPOs it's it's so funny when you talk about RPOs and too high stuff like the NFL is so late to catch up to these things and like RPOs have been around for like 20 years for Joe Moorhead running it so so long ago and to see it see it now it's fun and now we get to see okay two was the first person where you take someone at the highest level of football and start really throwing things on so I'm sure maybe next year we're gonna have to have the same discussion and see all right well how many more teams are kind of pushing onwards and continuing to do this and it's tough because it has structural limitations as you said and then I would imagine they have to spend a lot of time practicing these things so it's going to be harder in terms of okay well when you get to downfield passing it's not something you're doing all the time right so it's going to be harder and maybe if the footwork's different and I'm so curious about the offensive line because you can see sometimes in their RPOs where the linemen are kind of blocking for a run play, but they're holding up after one or two yards to try and stay within the rules. So I would just love to talk to an offensive lineman where you don't know where the ball's going. You know, is it actually going to be a run and kind of teaching those guys, okay, you need to absolutely blow off the ball and do what you can against this professional athlete, but also you can't go like further than six inches down the field. So it's, it's a it's a curious little game we have for sure. That that's the part that gets me with the overcomplication is like now you're thinking like that. Wouldn't it just be easy to get in the pistol and run the ball? Do you know what I mean? <laughs> and then we'll come back and run play action as the NFL has done for for six years. And by the way, I that is a good good correction by you and a misspeak by me. And I apologize to Rich Rodriguez for calling it six years. And I apologize to Brett Favre for almost uh, by mistakenly inventing the RPO to the point that Mike Holgram almost had a heart attack on the sidelines. He <laughs> kept throwing the ball on design run plays. Um, Dan, what do you think the next step is? Because when I wrote an article back at the start of the year, the thing for me with the NFL was I didn't think they were layering concepts well enough where exactly to Sean's point there is what you should really do is do what the Packers do essentially, which is we're going to run inside zone with the bubble and we'll run that. That's our RPO package, right? It's pretty basic and limited by the standards of college because we can't do the creative college stuff, but we can build off that cool play action concepts where this is a pass play. This is not any reading, none of that bullshit. Okay. We're not reading anyone, but the defense should will probably react based off the initial action of the play, which looks like the RBO stuff we run all the time. And I think for NFL teams, they have to focus way more on the layering aspect of their play action game than specifically saying like, let's go pinch that cool Lincoln Riley concept from college. Yeah. I wonder if there'll be uh, how many more constraint RPOs uh, there'll be. And um, one of the best example is, you know, as, as you said, the Packers run that bubble with uh, the inside zone bubble with Devontae Adams. A couple of weeks ago, they had a, they started with that bubble and uh, Jalen Ramsey kind of went out to the bubble and they used Ramsey's aggressiveness against him. And uh, Adams basically ran 
a bubble slant out of that RPO. So that's a constraint type play that it's only going to work when you've shown the inside read, inside zone bubble a hundred times. And then now you have a smart player who, you know, is going to um, go there. So, you know, just uh, do we have RPO stick, not RPO out and ups that we see more often. Um, and I, and I use those because um, you see RPO stick and RPO speed out. So uh as some of the more frequent uh, ones, or maybe because of the rules, there kind of is no next level scheme. It's just that will teams ramp it up like the Dolphins do, right? And, and I think some credit should be given to the Dolphins. Um, I thought, now look, he was a rookie, did limited starting time. There are a lot of factors. Tua struggled in, in um, his drop back type game. He missed open receivers. He didn't want to take shots downfield um, from, the, from the film I saw last year but they've made him more comfortable, right? They've said, how, what's the way to make our quarterback most successful? If it's the RPO game, we are going to turn this up to the nth degree. And so putting your player in the best position to succeed because he's done that since he was probably 12 years old. You know, I can't, I can't really blame them for that. I, I think that's, I think that's probably good coaching. So do you think it's one of those situations where it's, if you have a player you think has some kind of limitation, the RPO obviously it helps everyone because it just makes football easier. And as you said, they kind of put lean all the way into it. Whereas if you have someone you're you're wholly confident in, like you have an Aaron Rodgers, you have Patrick Mahomes, you use it as a more limited package because you are the more sophisticated stuff you can run at the NFL level. You'd rather run that stuff because you have better players. I think that takes I think that takes away from Tua's skill level a little bit too much. Um, but I think you're generally right that if I have Aaron Rodgers and I can gash you in different ways, I'm going to choose that before I choose um, kind of what the Dolphins do. But again, I would choose the Dolphins offense and, and they're uh, what they're doing a hundred times over, you know, let's say where the Bears are at or where Detroit's at, where I just watch and I'm like, man, the results are just not there, right? So um, I want to give enough credit to the Dolphins and Tua while also acknowledging, um, yes, there are other ways to be more explosive and more successful, put more points on the board. And so, Sean, you were extraordinarily excited about the Dolphins and the RPOs in general. What for you is is the next step? Is there a next step? Are you in a somewhat agreement that just because of the the – the, the laws of the NFL, that the, there is this box that you just have to work in no matter what. And it's really kind of hard to innovate within that, given uh, the constrictions of just the league itself. And here's another question I'll give to you. If I just handed you, okay, let's pick a team that would be fun. Well, let's go with the Lions then. So I hand you the Lions. Is this the kind of thing you would lean into to just make life easy for the QB, even at the NFL level? All right. Well, as I'm so glad I just inherited uh, the great Detroit Lions. Uh, I guess so. The next level is interesting to me because, of course, Dan makes a good point in terms of the rules kind of restricting. I'm almost more curious about okay, the, like defenses really are gonna need to separate their front end and back end because for a lot of the Dolphins' plays, they're just running past concepts and having a run play with it, right? So the defense, if you have guys that are out of the fit, just play. You can play pass coverage, right? It's not like this crazy crazy thing so my to me the next the quote next step is just just the just more of it in terms of more teams running it and it being i don't know how much is it going to be the whole entire offense for people but i do think that like we see pick flat so much where the colts run it a bunch where guys kind of motioning in and like very clearly picking and 
you see that. But then the Jaguars are in this one this year where they have power read one way uh, and they have stick uh, or pick flat kind of at the bottom. So it's maybe even obviously you have Trevor Lawrence, who is a really special player. And maybe it's as you have more quarterbacks that are mobile, just being able to really just ramp up the kind of concepts that you get uh, in those kinds of ways. And so would this be the offense <laughs> that I would run? That's a hard Hard question. Uh, again, I'm always rooting for the defense. I, I would call myself a defensive guy first. I, <laughs> as much as I feel like we kind of started off with, okay, the wide zone boot guys are having struggles. I feel like that would probably be where I would start my offense. Um, just because not, maybe not that it's simple, but Hey, look, we've, we've seen a lot of it. We've seen proven success. And maybe I'm proving the point that we see in the NFL of you can, you see the system getting watered down. And now if I ran, it would be the most watered down version kind of ever where you have the, the burner concepts, the angle concepts ran. So I'm going to go ahead and punt that question uh, on how I would run the offense and Dan can run the offense. I'll run the defense. We'll be good. <laughs> I, the, the point you make there about the Jags one is interesting because the what I was trying to get to before in terms of the overcomplicating of the game in a sense at the NFL level is if you're just running pick flat, it feels like a lot of investment and work and overcomplic overcomplication for something that, uh, the result, the, the high end of that result, I'm not, I know you could get Jalen Wall to take it to the house. I get that. You could have that on, on, a, on a sample. But it, it just seems like such, such an overcomplication that you could just, to, to, if you've got to throw the flat and you get three yards, it's like, man, we could just mash inside zone there and three yards would be bad if we were, if we were doing that. Whereas if you're running power re with something to the backside, I just feel like if you lead into the sophisticated variations of this the upside is so much greater than the really generic versions the league is running if that makes sense i feel like if you're going to have it as a smaller part of your offense you should be only running the more sophisticated versions which is the eagles i think do a pretty nice job of balancing this where it's like we go to this in the red zone with some more creative variations as opposed to just bubble glance yeah ollie i think the more that you tell these people to run less RPOs, you're going to give us less, less clips and less words <laughs> on these long string tweets where it's RPO glance, flop read, tagged wheel or something like that. I do think you're right. I will say like pick flat. We see it so much in the red zone on third and one. Um, and yeah, so yeah, of course, yeah, it's not the most sophisticated thing, but third down is, is going to be, I think a big thing for a defensive coordinator when they're looking at the sheet at the end. Well, did we stop them on third down and did we stop them in the red zone? And, yeah, so maybe you don't have it as much kind of 20 to 20 all the time, but in those high leverage situations, if you're getting to something where you know, look, at the very least, we're going to maybe get plus one in the box just by stringing, stringing someone out. So, yeah, I think you make good points, but we can, we're going to keep seeing it. There's just, there's just no way to me that, especially for if teams kind of stick in or go to more one high stuff where they're really playing zones and you have people in any sort of conflict, why wouldn't you do that as an offense, right? You want to, you can't teach a player, Hey, if you do run or if there's a run, you do X, if there's a pass, you do Y when there's run and pass happening on every play at the same time. So eventually defense is just going to kind of have to make a choice on, all right, well, we're going to, you know, we're just going to play it as a pass and kind of let them run as much as they can and, and kind of go from there. All right, then gents, I'll let you out of here with uh, one final question tweeted to you, which is just the, the thing that you're, 
the one thing you're most keen to keep track of in this final run of the season into the playoffs? And it may be something we've already covered, but I'll go to you first, Dan. What's the one little thing? My, it can be micro from a specific team, just an adjustment they make. It could be macro of how the league adapts to a certain thing that's been happening throughout the season. What are you excited to kind of see the conclusion of from a schematic perspective this season? Mm, put on the spot. Um <clears throat> Probably, I'm probably most interested to see what McVay has in the bag. I I just don't think that he is, uh, you know, he's a brilliant guy, great coach. I don't think it's something where teams can just figure him out in the right in the middle of the season. You know, I know that his uh, points per game and, and EPA uh, back half of his last couple seasons has dropped, but I think you know he's going to be very conscious of that and aware of that and seeing how he. Um, adjust some new scheme wrinkles um will be will be really interesting yeah and them having a late buy to be able to do some better self-scouting exactly it's going to be so crucial for them everyone getting healthy is going to help but him having a full week to use his uh brain there where he can remember every play in human history i think and he just gets a week to sit in a room and just to to think about stuff without the ability to self-scout that late in the season is so valuable i'm so interested to see how he does Sean, same question to you. Uh, I feel like so many different things. I certainly want to see, okay, well, how how much further can we push this whole uh, to our RPO offense? I really want to see what how much Josh Allen is going to get involved in the run game. Kind of, I mean, I'm silently rooting for the Broncos to get to the playoffs, see how much, just like what's the most beautiful interception we can get from them where we had that just an awesome one against the Cowboys and – kind of seeing what really other teams are going to have to do up front just in terms of, I mean, understanding the run fits is so complicated anyway, and kind of seeing how can the kind of, as we were, we were, I feel like ripping on the charges a little bit there, uh, they're up front kind of seeing, okay, well, if they're making the playoffs and they're kind of pushing through what adjustments is, is Staley making there, is it going to have to be where someone coming down field has to cover so much more in the box or is it going to be, look, we can just trust these guys to two gap and we don't have to, I kind of stress out as much on that and or is it let's just let Justin Herbert continue to score more points than the other team on that so a lot 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 to look forward to in the NFL and obviously bowl season coming up too so that'll be that'll be a good one too all right then they are the Syed Scheme brothers is that a fair way to to sign off with that is that is that cool at Syed Schemes is where you can go and find uh, all those great tweet threads they do where you can learn more about the game. SyedSchemes.com is the website. Thank you both, Dan, Sean, for taking the time to do this. Thanks so much. It's been uh, great talking football with you. Love your work too, Ali. Keep it up and uh, look forward to talking more uh, scheme on online and uh, on podcasts in the future. Thanks, Ali. Appreciate it.